The Senate has finally released the gun control bill that they've been discussing for weeks. It's not a gun control bill. It's a gun safety bill, as we're going to explain. I don't see how this bill could have prevented the Uvalde shooting or the Buffalo shooting. I believe the Democrats are doing this to get headlines, not because they actually want to prevent another shooting. But it does seem like 10 Republicans are on board. They need that number 10, the magic number, in order to beat the filibuster. But the question is... Will every Democrat in the Senate support this bill? Because if they don't have 50 Democrats, 10 Republicans are not going to help them unless maybe they have enough Republicans to put this bill over the top, even if they're missing some of the more leftist, hardcore Democrats, which would obviously be a major embarrassment if they can't even get every Democrat to vote on this bill. So we'll give you all the details of that coming up. The new mantra, the Biden administration, their new mantra is a recession is not Inevitable. Remember, they kept telling us that inflation, don't worry, inflation is only transient, transitory, inflation is only temporary. Well, now, they're, which obviously was bogus, well, now they're trying it with a recession. A lot of economists believe the recession has already begun, but the Biden people, the White House, they keep saying this again and again. It's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. Recession There may be a recession, but it's not inevitable. So it's like they're taking something. It's like, you know, it's like a tidal wave is coming. And look, it's not inevitable. The tidal wave, it may shift over a little bit to the left. You know, it's it's like there's a missile heading toward your city. And there's like a 93% chance the missile's going to hit. But there's a small chance that it might actually divert. Like the wind might move it over. It's not inevitable. So here's the thing. The Biden people, and by the way, sadly, it looks like a recession is coming. Look, I'm sorry. I don't want to be the one to be negative. I'd love to be spreading positive news here. But the negative is that Biden is the president. That's the negative part. So everything else kind of just flows from there. But here's the thing. The Biden strategy of like blaming, right? They were blaming, they're blaming Putin. They were blaming Trump. They blame everybody they can. And of course, and now they're blaming the oil, those greedy oil companies. Amazing how under Trump, the oil companies were not greedy, but now suddenly Biden becomes president. And wow, Biden is just so unlucky because now the oil companies and all these and, – and it's not just the oil companies. How about the supermarkets? How about egg prices? How about the price of milk? I mean the price of cars. Like just all these companies just got so incredibly greedy just all of a sudden out of nowhere. But here's the problem. The blame game, aside from, aside from the fact that it's not even true, that it, it, it's all on Biden. It's Biden's own policies. So it's false to blame. But it also doesn't – let's even assume it was true. Let's even assume that it would be true, that it would be about Putin and it would be about the greedy oil companies. You're still the president of the United States. Figure it out, okay? Trump didn't used to blame people. Trump used to figure out a solution. I mean, Trump was hit with serious problems. Remember the border wall that I honestly – even I give Trump credit. I never thought that he could manage to get it done without Congress. He didn't even have Republicans voting to give Trump – the money that he needed to build the border wall. That was his signature campaign promise. Well, remember, he declared a national emergency. He shut down the government for a while, and then he used, he diverted military funding. So Trump figured it out. Trump figured out a way to do things on his own rather than blaming. It would have been easy for Trump listen, just blame and say, listen, it's not my fault. The, uh, the, the, the border's a mess. It's the Democrats' fault. There's nothing I can do to fix it. And he, and he did that with many, many of his policies where Congress refused to help him in any way. So he said, you know what, I'm going to just have to figure this out on my own. So that's the problem with blaming is 
when you're the president of the United States, nobody's impressed with the fact, number one, it's a lie because it's not the greedy oil companies. It's not Putin. Biden created this inflation with his trillions of dollars in stimulus and a lot of his threatening the oil companies and and, and so many other of his failed policies. But aside from that, even if he'd be right, it still doesn't matter because you're the president of the United States. All right. Bombshell new report. The WHO, there's a story that the WHO secretly believes that COVID leaked out of the Wuhan lab. And look, this is no surprise, as we've laid out many times for you, the evidence overwhelmingly shows that this was a lab leak. Okay, it's not a conspiracy theory. In fact, it's the most likely theory. Dr. Fauci doesn't want us to know this, that COVID leaked out of a lab because he was actually connected with funding the the research that led to the COVID virus, the gain-of-function research. So obviously, Fauci and the government and the NIH, they've tried to cover this thing up. But now, the WHO, and the WHO, they've been very clear. Like, they're so corrupt, WHO, and they actually, they, they actually colluded with China initially to cover up the virus, and they did a lot a lot of damage as a result, allowing the, the, the COVID virus to spread throughout the world in, in back, back in 2020. But here's the thing. Even the WHO, they have not covered up the fact that, la- that the lab leak theory, they've been very clear again and again, that the lab leak theory is a very, very valid theory and one of the leading theories. But uh, this news story, um, and this is reported in the, in the London Daily Mail. So this is a legit, a legitimate story. Uh, again, it's not, you know, it's not proof, but it certainly has, uh, you know, very strong legs to stand on that the head of the WHO, Tedros, Gabriasus actually told a top politician in Europe that he believes the lab leak theory is the most likely theory. And he, in fact, does believe that COVID, of course, it leaked out of a lab. Of course, it leaked out of a lab. And now we even have an admission from the WHO. The, the, the Daily Mail is saying, quote, while publicly the WHO maintains all hypotheses remain on the table, um, a source said that Tedros, the head of the WHO, director general, recently confided to a senior European politician that the most likely explanation was a catastrophic, catastrophic accident at the lab in Wuhan. And remember, infections first started. The biggest proof that anybody needs is that, according to the Wall Street Journal, there were already uh, COVID patients in 2019, before anybody was aware that COVID even existed, there were COVID patients. And where did they come from? They were scientists who worked in the Wuhan lab. They came down with COVID-like symptoms, a mystery virus, and they were um, hospitalized for it all the way back in November of 2019. Now, if it came out of a bat at some wet market, then explain how it was that three scientists working in the lab mysteriously came down with COVID-like symptoms. I mean, come on. It doesn't take... A genius. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or an MIT graduate to do the math here. Not to mention, as we've told you, there are no bats within hundreds of miles. The epicenter of the COVID pandemic was in Wuhan, China, and there are no bats within hundreds of miles. So, uh, you know, not to, not to mention, uh, you know, under Obama, Obama, President Obama actually sent inspectors to the Wuhan lab back in, uh, I don't know, 2015, 2016. They actually inspected the Wuhan lab and they reported back to Obama. They said there are so many dangerous viruses that are being researched in the lab and it's, it, it wasn't a safe lab. So they said this is this is a leak waiting to happen. This is a catastrophe waiting to happen. Um, by the way, as we've told you about the gain of function research that Fauci funded in that lab. But what's incredible is it used to be a conspiracy theory. The, 
the, the lab leak theory, which now, as we said, the WHO believes that it's the most likely theory and overwhelming evidence. It was a conspiracy theory when, when, when Trump was president. The Washington Post literally labeled it. They were making fun of Trump and the Republicans. Oh, they believe that it leaked out of a lab. And by the way, why? Why do they care? Why does the media why, – why are they so desperate to cover up China, You know their involvement in, in, in this? I mean China, they are evil. China, they are so evil and like the human rights abuses that they're guilty of. If anything, liberals and the media, they should be even more outraged at all the t- terrible things China does than, than we are. So why does the media feel the need to defend China is beyond me. The only explanation I have is because President Trump made China the number one enemy. And he's right. China is the number one enemy, the number one threat. So because it's Trump's enemy, somehow the media has to get cozy with China. I mean, does that make any sense? It's just it's just it's uh, it's ludicrous. But listen to this. The Washington Post back in 2021. This is amazing. In July, in June of 2021, The Washington Post corrected an article from a year before this is unbelievable they, how they changed it from being a conspiracy theory to being just um, a, a disputed theory. It just tells you everything you need to know. Washington Post, this is what happened. In 2020, the Washington Post had a headline making fun of Senator Tom Cotton, conservative Senator Tom Cotton. And the headline said, quote, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that, that, that was already debunked. Do you believe that? And then they changed it. They magically, mysteriously, a ye- over a year later, in, in, in June of – uh, 2021, when, of course, Biden became president, and now it's no longer a conspiracy theory, and they started uh, uh, compiling all the evidence, then the headline was switched to, quote, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. Okay, so it went, you believe that? Back in February 2020, it was a coronavirus conspiracy theory already debunked. Already debunked. Amazing how February 2020, people barely know what the coronavirus is, what COVID is, and the Washington Post is calling it a debunked conspiracy theory. Then, magically, over a year later, in June of 2021, suddenly it became a fringe theory that sci- scientists have disputed. And what does that tell you You know about all these other things that they make fun of us about and we're science deniers, things that relate to the climate, things that relate to you know so many other issues where if you don't agree with them, you're a science denier. But then in a year or two years, suddenly the science changes and they go back and change headlines literally from from years before and they never apologize and say oh by the way we were making fun of you because you're a science denier and a conspiracy theorist i know it turns out that you're actually correct all right so monday was juneteenth actually sunday was juneteenth i just want to mention this about juneteenth and i have no problem with celebrating juneteenth but here's my problem my problem is that you know, people, they just like throw around holidays for, for to be politically correct. They just like make up holidays. And you can't just make up a holiday. And I want to explain why. You see, on Juneteenth, Juneteenth fell out on Sunday. Okay, June 19th fell out on Sunday. Juneteenth is a holiday that basically commemorates the emancipation of the slaves back in 1865. Okay, that's fine. So the problem is, if you just add a holiday to the calendar, why don't we just make a holiday every single week? Why not just make every Monday off? Or every Friday off. And just every week, let's just have a holiday, right? So the answer is because it's called something called productivity. When you declare a holiday like Juneteenth, right? It's so the banks are closed. The markets are closed. Many people take days off. Many companies are forced to be closed because their employees will think they're racist if they don't shut down. And even when people work, there's just a lot less going on. So it affects 
productivity. These things affect the markets. Every additional holiday that you add to the calendar decreases productivity and hurts the economy. And obviously the economy is already struggling. So here's the here's my point is you cannot have a holiday once a week or even once a month. Hey, let's just have a holiday. Well, why not? What's the downside? We'll all be off. It'll be great. It's called productivity. So now they decide they want to add Juneteenth because you want to pander to black people. Well, then you, I say you need to swap out a different holiday. I know uh, Columbus Day is very unpopular. A lot of people think Columbus Day is racist. Is Columbus Day even still technically considered a, a legal holiday? I'm not even sure. But maybe you want to make President's Day. You want to swap that out and exchange President's Day for Juneteenth. I don't care which holiday. Memorial Day and Labor Day, those are like considered, you know, those always fall out on a Monday. Those are considered like holidays, like extra long weekends or whatever. So I don't think people are going to want to give those up too easily. But that's my point is you don't just decide, all right, I'm going to make up a holiday because, hey, why not? Like that's how liberals that's how liberals view everything. Well, let's just give out more food stamps. Let's just give food stamps to people who are above the poverty line. You know, let's just like give out more. more. Let's just give do Medicare for all and just we'll give everybody health care coverage and, uh, you know, all, all sorts of great government programs, freebies, free lunches, free stuff, because, well, why not? Th- th- it always comes at a cost. And another thing I just want to add. Juneteenth this year, it actually fell out on Sunday, June 19th. It's one thing if you like, if it falls out uh, during the week, but it actually fell out on a Sunday, on a weekend, and they pushed it off and they celebrated on, they celebrated it on Monday, even though Monday was June 20th. Now that makes no sense. Again, then you're just doing it as an excuse for an off day, for the day off from work, right? In other words, if you want to commemorate it as a special day, if you think you need an extra holiday on the calendar, well, then just add an extra holiday. Just call it whatever you want. Call it summer day. Call it spring day. But that's not what they were trying to do here. They were trying to commemorate a certain event. Well, if that event fell out on the weekend, why are you pushing it off? Because you need an extra holiday? That, that, that made no sense to me whatsoever. You don't need an extra holiday because there are already plenty of holidays on the calendar. All right. I, I want to mention the media is turning on President Biden. Biden is so bad, so unpopular Everyone's jumping ship. Jen Psaki jumped ship. A bunch of his other advisors have announced they're quitting after November. And now the media is turning on Biden, literally on CBS. Margaret Brennan, who's pretty leftist, like like everyone in the mainstream media. She actually asked a tough question to Brian Deese, asked uh, Biden's economic advisor, Brian Deese, a tough question, almost a mocking question. This was on CBS. And Brian Deese was actually trying to say that the plan to end inflation, Biden's plan to eliminate, to fight inflation, to bring down inflation, involves raising taxes and increasing spending. You cannot make this stuff up. That's what got us into this mess in the first place. But Brian Deese actually tried to say, yeah, we're going to raise taxes and increase spending, and that's going to somehow bring down inflation. Margaret Brennan of CBS Sunday, CBS Sunday, the CBS Sunday show, Face the Nation, she did not let him get away with it. Listen to this clip. If we can do a package like that, we can move forward in the near future. It will not only help in lowering prices, but it will send a signal to the markets and the global economy that the United States is really deadly serious about taking on this. Hiking taxes isn't going to change the price of milk. When and how are you actually putting forward this package? The package has been uh, debated. It's been worked through. Uh, It failed. Back when Build Back Better's version of it. So if inflation is the number one priority right now, when are you scheduling a vote to do the things you just laid out? We're working very closely with congressional leadership, with Senate leadership on that. 
<laughs> Hiking taxes is not going to change the price of milk. I mean, she just let him have it. Good for her. And we're seeing this more and more, how the media is turning on the Biden administration. All right, there's a new study that Medicare – oh, we have to get into this uh, gun safety bill. Uh, all right, let me get into this gun safety bill. Then we'll get back to the study involving Medicare. But essentially, the study says that if if Medicare would use the new Mark Cuban online uh, pharmaceutical company to buy its prescription drugs, to buy generic prescription drugs for elderly people, it would save billions and billions of dollars. In other words, instead of buying from regular pharmacies, Mark Cuban has, a, has like an Amazon for pharmaceuticals, for drugs. And Mark, Mark Cuban literally has a website, and he sells much, much cheaper drugs on the website. And uh, according to a new study, uh, Medicare could actually save billions of dollars. Medicare, of course, is, is free go- is, is government health care that all seniors are automatically enrolled in and entitled to. But before we get to that, the Senate has finally released that bill, as we said, on gun safety. And look, this bill really does not change a thing. This bill is extremely watered down compared to what the Democrats said they wanted. In fact, there's nothing in here from what the Democrats' wish list, the Democrats said, which is interesting. I think it tells you that the Democrats are not actually looking to solve anything. The Democrats, they're just looking um, to for a win. They're just looking to, like, fake out their constituents, their voters, and I, I believe that a lot of voters are not going to be fooled, but that's what the Democrats, it's like, just pass anything. We just, we have to do something. That's what everybody was saying. And and, and not to diminish, Uvalde, Buffalo, you know, there, there are just so many, so many horrific shootings, and uh, it would be nice, obviously, if something real could be done to prevent them. I don't think gun control is the answer, but it's like, just do something. We need to just do something. We need to act. That was the, that was kind of the, uh, the feeling. That was kind of the sentiment. So, that's what the Democrats are doing, but I don't really believe, number one, I don't think this bill could do anything to have prevented Uvalde, Buffalo, or most other mass shootings. Number two, it's not what the Democrats have been saying that they want. So there are, only, there are two options over here. Either the Democrats, and we'll get, we'll get into some of the details in this bill, pretty much the agreement that we, you know, pretty much reflects the agreement that we were already aware of, we were told already. But either the Democrats are desperate to just pretend that they passed something. They don't really care. They don't, it's like, Listen, we just have to show you we've done something. We've passed a gun bill. All right. Technically, it's not gun control because we're not banning anything. No universal background checks. Um, but uh, at least we did something right. Either that or they don't really want gun control at all. That's the other option. I've been saying this for quite a long time. Under Obama, they got Obamacare passed. They had uh, a majority that was uh, filibuster proof. Under Obama, 2009, 2010, they did not pass a single gun control bill. And uh, now, even now, obviously Uvalde happened. But before Uvalde, you never heard a single Democrat talking about gun control. You know the Democrats talked about gun control? When Trump was president. Then any time there was a shooting, they blamed Trump and they ranted how it was Trump's fault and the Republicans' fault. The Republicans have blood on their hands. But then ever since Biden became president, there have been many shootings, even after the Buffalo shooting. There were very few Democrats, if any, who were talking about gun control. Um, Uvalde was a whole a whole different story. But that tells me I, I don't know that the Democrats want gun control because I believe that there are millions and millions of Democrat voters out there who would actually not be happy if the Democrats banned what they call assault weapons. So there's kind of a political game going on over here. Let me tell you what's in the bill. What's in the bill? And, and, and by the way, what really bothers me about the Democrats is that they refuse to crack down 
on the real cause of gun violence throughout the country. I'm talking about thousands and thousands of shootings every every week, every month in the inner city of Chicago, Baltimore. Now, New York, crime is surging out of control. Seattle, L.A., San Francisco, where they just recalled that socialist DA, Philadelphia. I mean, there are so many Democrat-controlled cities where just crime, gun crime is out of control, and those are not legal guns. Those guns are obtained illegally. There are plenty of laws in place. All they need to do is enforce it. They're letting, they, they, they have this no-cash bail where they're letting these criminals walk free. The, and we'll tell you about a horrible story coming up uh, that took place in L.A. Um, where somebody should have been in jail, was not, and then actually shot two police officers. So the Democrats, they're not solving the real problem. They don't want to harden the schools. They don't want to have armed guards in each of the schools. They don't want to talk about any of it. They, they, they don't want to keep criminals behind bars. They don't want to confiscate illegal weapons you know, for, uh, through using, using programs like Stop and Frisk. So the Democrats, they're such total hypocrites here, and they don't want to actually solve the, the real issue, the underlying issue. And, and, and you know who's victimized more than anybody else? I mean, there was just a mass shooting in Harlem a few days ago. African Americans were shot. The victims in for, for throughout for most gun violence around the country uh, are, are are blacks and minorities. So this bill is going to provide money to the 19 states that have red flag laws to make it easier to uh, confiscate guns from people who are considered dangerous. So it's just again, it's not creating a a, a federal red flag law. It's just going to give money to states that already have red flag laws to help them enforce. The laws. It would toughen background checks to gun people who purchase guns who are under age 21. It would require more sellers to conduct background checks, and it would beef up penalties on gun traffickers. It would also disburse money to states that would improve school safety and mental health initiatives. So that's essentially what it's targeting. It's targeting number one, beefed up background checks. It's going to make more people, more more sellers require background checks. Under age 21 is going to have a tougher, tougher background check, um, which again, many, many, many shooters unfortunately are over age 21, so that's not going to have an impact. And the, and it's not creating red flag laws. It is um, going to give money to states that already have red flag laws to help them enforce. I don't understand why those states can't find that money on their own, can't enforce red flag laws on their own, but that's part of what's in this bill. And the legislation, of course, does not include. Many, many things that the Democrats have been pushing, including a ban on assault-style rifles, raising the minimum age to purchase a firearm to age 21, a prohibition of high-capacity magazines or universal background checks. Now, look, we have to see if this bill passes the Senate. Like I said, it's possible that some of the more liberal Democrats, people like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders – Sanders said he's going to support it, but let's wait and see. It's possible that – Bernie Sanders or Warren or uh, one of the other uh, very leftist, far left Democrats in the Senate says, you know what, I'm not interested. And then they don't have the majority that they need. They need 60, obviously, to prevent a filibuster. But again, it could be that other Republicans are going to, especially because this bill really doesn't have anything too controversial in it. Very, like I said, no gun control legislation. So there may be many Republicans who jump on board. And how embarrassing would that be? How embarrassing would it be if it passes, let's say, with like 65 or 70 or 75 votes, but then 10 Democrats vote against this bill? I mean, that's going to look really bad for the Democrats if they vote against gun safety legislation after all the years of demanding something like this. And then even once it passes the Senate, it has to pass the House. And obviously, there's a pretty slim majority in the House 
that the Democrats have. And who knows if the Republicans in the House, I think Republicans in the House tend to be on the conservative side. I don't know that they're going to vote in favor of this, although there is a lot of pressure. Since Uvalde, there certainly is a lot of pressure. So we're going to have to wait and see how this all plays out. But there's still a, a long journey ahead for this piece of gun safety legislation. All right, let's get to this study on Medicare. It turns out that Medicare, if it would use Mark Cuban's online drug company, um, it, Medicare would save $3.6 billion a year, every, like I said, per year, annually. Medicare could save up to $3.6 billion per year if it buys drugs at discounted prices through Mark Cuban's drug company because his, 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 the, the, the prescriptions he sells are just so much cheaper. Now, it doesn't use health insurance. You have to buy it out of pocket. It doesn't use health insurance. But again, Medicare, if Medicare cut a deal with Mark Cuban, Medicare is Medicare. It's the government, so it could do whatever it wants. There's no need for insurance when you're dealing with Medicare is like one big insurance company, obviously, but it's, but again, it's, or sometimes it's administered by private companies, but either way, it's, it's government. It's, 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 it's a federal program. So the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, um, launched this year online. And it basically simplifies the convoluted supply chain for drugs and other savings. Here's what I always say is private industry can do things. People like Elon Musk, Mark Cuban, they can do things that the government is notorious for messing up. So basically Mark Cuban is selling these prescriptions at far, far cheaper. What he's doing is cutting out a bunch of middlemen and a bunch of red tape. Now, this is not purely a private industry thing. I want to be clear. Medicare is obviously government run and Medicare is what's messing this up. The fact that you have, you know, in general, health and human services, in general, health care costs take up a huge chunk of the federal budget, billions, trillions of dollars, trillion. The government, federal government spends trillions of dollars every year, literally on health care programs that Medicare is probably the largest one. So what happens is Medicare, it spends so much money and it wastes so much money. So um, that that's the issue with Medicare is it it just wastes so many billions of dollars because things are done in an inefficient way. Now that now there is mixed into the pie over here a, pri- a, a private companies as well messing things up because you have the insurance companies and uh, uh, look insurance companies are kind of a necessary evil, but a lot of these insurance companies are pretty greedy. I don't want to sound like uh, you know Joe Biden over here blaming greedy companies, but this happens to be a fact. That's why Trump always talked about lowering uh, prescription drug costs because. Um, look, I'm okay with insurance companies making a profit like everybody else, but they, they tend to drive up the cost because the government, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, like colleges, colleges, universities, because the government, um, doles out so much money for college tuition in loans and in grants. So then the, the colleges take advantage and they raise tuition even more. And then the government pays even more because the government has endless pockets. Same thing with these prescriptions. These drug costs is they charge more money. All these insurance companies and, uh, uh, the insurance companies administer it, but basically the pharmaceutical companies charge more money. The government is the one ultimately paying it out through these programs, and then uh, they charge even more money because they know the government's going to pay it, and the government's terrible at negotiating rates. So it just drives up the costs astronomically in a nutshell. It's more complicated, obviously. So the current supply chain, basically there's the, the, what Mark Cuban is doing is he's cutting out the massive inefficiencies in the in the pharmaceutical distribution and reimbursement system, including wholesalers, pharmacy benefit managers, pharmacies, and insurers. So um, the supply chain actually caught 64% of every dollar spent on generic drugs is spent on the supply chain, meaning all the red tape, all these peripheral people, including the insurance companies and um, 
and these pharmacy benefit managers. I don't even know what a pharmacy benefit manager is exactly, but again, it's one of these people who's involved in the whole insurance plan. So uh, wholesalers, pharmacies, there's just, just so many people who get a piece of this pie that it ends up driving up the cost. And, well, what's the big deal? Because the government's anyway going to foot the bill when it comes to Medicare to pay for all these drugs. So in walks Mark Cuban, and he says we can cut out all those expenses, and he's saving people tons of money on their prescriptions. And amazing, this study says $3.6 billion can be saved if Medicare, instead of buying uh, drugs from from the from the pharmacies if it goes directly to Mark Cuban's website. And Mark Cuban actually put out a tweet in response. He says, I'll have my people call your people. He literally, he linked to this study, Mark Cuban, and he basically said, let's talk. And he basically said, listen, I'll have my people call your people, you know, referring to Medicare, referring to the government, and uh, here, have your people call my people and let's get this done Oh, he actually tweeted it at Biden. He literally put out a tweet, Cuban, at Biden and at a bunch of congressmen with a link to this study saying, have your people call my people and let's get this done. And as I said earlier, a very tragic story in L.A. And this is happening all around the country where these DAs, these radical leftist socialist DAs, New York City is one of the worst, Alvin Bragg, but L.A., this Gasson is not much better. And, um, of course, we know about the DA in San Francisco. San Francisco, the most liberal socialist city on the planet. And they recalled their extremely um, radical socialist DA who was just who was allowing rampant crime, rampant homelessness, just to, just turned the whole San Francisco into one big homeless shelter, one big garbage dump, and, and one big, you know, it just did this criminal jungle, basically. So the, the two police officers were ambushed several days ago they were shot and killed by a gang member. They were um, at a hotel, and police were called to the hotel. And at that hotel, these two monsters ambushed, or the, 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 this one monster, I should say, ambushed these two police officers. But here's the thing is he should have been in jail. This gang member, it, it, by law, should have been in jail because he was caught with an illegal gun, and that should have gotten him 18 months in jail. That happened several months ago. So if they had actually just enforced the law in L.A., then this monster, this evil, heinous monster would have been in jail and would not have been able to carry out this horrific crime. But because of policies by D.A. George Gasson, uh, minimizing charges against suspects who have who are in possession of a gun, um, he was released. He was never charged with that crime. He was released. So Michael Paradis and uh, Joseph Santana, two police officers, were shot. This felon was on probation and... Here's what happened. This Gasson, Attorney General George Gasson, one of his first mandates when he took office in 2020 was he told prosecutors you cannot file additional charges for the use of a gun, See, um, which, which has a maximum sentence of life in prison. So essentially what he was saying is no gun charges. In other words, if somebody commits a crime, don't tack on, even if he uses a gun and should should be charged with possession of a gun or illegal use of a gun. Do not do that. Do not charge them. That that Those are the instructions that he gave. So this Justin Flores, this gang member, he was given a 20-day jail sentence last year, 2021, and he had part of a charge of gun possession dropped as part of a plea deal. He should have had 18 months prior to Gasson issuing this horrible edict saying don't charge people for gun possession as an extra charge. Before that, uh, this man would have been – uh, would have been charged and probably found guilty 
of uh, gun possession, and that would have resulted in a minimum 18-month jail sentence, and that sentence would still be going on, so he would actually still be sitting in jail and would never have been able to carry out this attack. They know this. I'm trying to explain this. They know so many of these cities. They know like 80%, 80% of the crime are, uh, uh, is done by, is committed by like the same two or three percent of the population. You, if you put several thousand criminals, known criminals, criminals with a criminal record, criminal history, and they just keep getting released by these radical leftist DAs, if, if you just keep them in jail, that would cut down crime and especially violent crime and the murder rate by like 50, 60, 70, possibly 80 percent. It's not because they don't know who the criminals are. They know who the criminals are. It's not because police are not doing the job. Police are trying their best to enforce the law. They got to be frustrated. If I was police, I'd be tearing my hair out because you arrest these thugs. And then the, the next day they're back on the street committing more crimes. You arrest them again and they just keep coming out. And you know what? eventually the crime actually gets even more violent. The criminals, they get worse and not better because what lesson do you teach them? Well, no problem. You can commit whatever crime you want and you'll just be released by some by some bleeding heart leftist judge. Finally, Joe Biden, there's so much to get to that. We're going to have to wait for next, next, next episode. But Joe Biden is restoring a direct channel with the Palestinians. So once again, reversing yet another, another great move that was made. By Trump, President Trump, of course, he cut off the Palestinians. Not only did he cut off their funding, but he cut off all communications with them. They actually did it. It was actually Abbas. When when Trump moved the embassy, um, Abbas said, I'm not speaking to Trump anymore, as though Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas, was somehow punishing Trump. But either way, Trump, Trump he, he treated the Palestinians not just like second-class citizens. I mean, he treated them almost like subhumans, which they basically are, these vicious terrorist monsters. Anyway, well, Biden... He already refunded them. He already restored funding, but he's restoring a direct channel with the PA, with the Abbas terror regime. Um, what happened was, until now, they've been communicating indirectly through a U.S. ambassador. In other words, there hasn't been a direct line of communication between the White House and Mahmoud Abbas ever since Trump. But the Palestinians, they've actually, they want an embassy. What happened is, um, Palestinians want Biden to restore a U.S. consulate, a U.S. consulate in East Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. The the embassy is in Jerusalem. That's to Israel. But there's a, there's there was at one point a U.S. consulate in Jerusalem, which 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 was sort of like a de facto embassy to the PA. Biden has refused to do that, but Biden is restoring direct communications between Mahmoud Abbas and the White House, so they no longer have to do it through a third party, which was the U.S. ambassador. Again, it's probably more of a symbolic move than anything else, but again, it's giving the Palestinians more credibility, more leverage, which is very unfortunate, especially with all the turmoil happening uh, in the Israeli Knesset right now. And as I said, Biden, he restored hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to the Palestinians, which it directly is directly used to fund terror attacks against Jews. Remember, Biden pressured Naftali Bennett to freeze construction in the settlements. He refused, he threatened. He said he wasn't, he is going to plan to visit Israel, but he said, I'm not going to visit unless you freeze construction or, or limit the construction that you're doing in the settlements. And, um, essentially the, 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 the more credence Biden gives, the more leverage he gives to the Palestinians, the stronger they'll feel, the more empowered they'll, they'll feel, they'll, they'll feel safer to carry out even more terror attacks because not only do they not get punished, they get rewarded. It's just outrageous. And Trump, he almost had the Palestinians dead and buried. And, and here Biden is now 
resurrecting them, giving them new life. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.